If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open it up to the book of 1 Corinthians. As we continue our journey through this book, we'll be in chapter 12. A lot of things that are challenging in life. Life is very challenging. And one of those challenging things is keeping a proper understanding of your own importance, a balanced understanding of your own importance. We seem to have a natural tendency to either underestimate our importance, how important we are, or overestimate. And either one of those situations is, is not good. It's, it's not a good thing. Um, if, we, if we overestimate our importance, well, then we get arrogant, and then we alienate people. But if we underestimate our importance, then we tend to get passive or timid, and then we don't do things that we could do and, or should do, because we just hold back, feeling like, oh, I can't do that. This is a serious problem if you're a believer in Jesus, because he has important things that he wants you to do. And if you're, if you're being arrogant and alienating people, well, then you're not going to be able to do what he wants you to do. And if you're underestimating your importance and you're feeling passive and timid, then you won't do the things he wants you to do. Um, so you, you're going to end up failing to live the life he wants you to live. You're going to miss out. So this is an important thing. And it's not a new problem because we find it in the Bible. We have passages that deal with that and. Today, 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to see one passage that helps us with this. Apparently, the Corinthians were having trouble with this, keeping a proper sense of their importance. And so we want to look at what the Apostle Paul wrote to them to help them with this and learn what we can from that. So we are in chapter 12, beginning at verse 12, Paul writing to the Christians in the town of Corinth says this, for just as the body, he's talking here about a physical body, like your body, my body, just as the body is one, one thing, and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized. We were all immersed into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, background, culture, doesn't matter. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, 
nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. There are two truths here for keeping a proper sense of your own importance. Two truths that we need to remember, that we need to call to mind, that we need to hold on to to keep a proper balanced sense of our importance. Here's the first one to remember. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are part of something amazing. You are part of something amazing. It is a really strange thing about us that when we become familiar with something amazing, we often stop being amazed by it. I remember one time I was down in Northern California uh, meeting up with a friend of mine. We were going to do some fishing together. And one morning we went and we were eating breakfast in this restaurant and uh, very close to Mount Shasta. If you've ever driven south on Interstate 5 through California, you've seen Mount Shasta. Big, huge mountain like Mount Hood or Mount Adams, you know, one in the Cascade chain, this big volcano. And the the view from the dining room was absolutely spectacular. Here was this huge, rugged peak covered with snow, and the morning sun was, you know, kind of tinting it a rosy pink color, and it was just, it was, it was amazing. And my friend and I were just both filled with a sense of awe. We're like, wow, did you look at that? That is amazing. That is fantastic. And then I looked around at the other people in the restaurant, most of whom probably live right there in that community. So they can see that thing any day. And what are they doing? They're all looking at their newspapers. And this was kind of back in the day before smartphones were much of a thing. Yes, I'm really that old. And, but if they'd had phones, I'm sure they would have been looking at them. They're staring at their coffee cups. Nobody's looking at this amazing sight. Why not? They got used to it. They got used to it, and so they weren't amazed by it anymore. And that can happen to us, can it? I remember going to the Grand Canyon last year, and, you know, I, I was completely amazed by it for a little while. And then after a while, it's like, yeah, it's a hole in the ground. I'm tired. <laughs> the very same thing can happen with amazing truth. Truth that should take your breath away becomes routine, even boring, because you've heard it so many times. You stop being amazed by that. We have to fight against that tendency. If you are a believer in Jesus, you need to stop 
periodically and take some time and think about how astounding it is that the creator of the universe loves you. The one who is infinite in majesty, the one who is infinite in holiness, in spite of all your failures, loves you and wants you. That is amazing. Absolutely amazing. And there's one of these amazing truths right here in verse 27. It was the last verse I read. Speaking to believers in Jesus, it says, You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Think about that. If that's an expression you've heard many, many times, body of Christ, body of Christ, body of Christ. Okay, think about it. That's staggering. That's absolutely staggering. You are the body of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Why does the Bible describe you that way? What does the Bible want you to think when you hear that? Well, one thing it means is that if you're a believer in Jesus, you are connected to Jesus like your fingers and hands are connected to your body. That's a very tight connection. Another thing it means is that he values you the way you value your own body. You say, really? Yeah. I'm not making it up. Look at Ephesians 5.29. For no one ever hated his own flesh. It means no one healthy, okay? So someone who's got mental illness or something, they might hate their body, but, but a normal person doesn't. No one ever hated his own flesh, but does what? Nourishes and cherishes it, look, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Now, when we use the word church, we very often mean a place, a building, or we mean a program. We'll say, well, church starts at 930. But in scripture, church never means that. It always means people, a group of people, the group of people who belong to Jesus, who've become connected to him by faith. And it's this group of people that the Bible calls the church. And sometimes it's referring to all believers everywhere, and sometimes it's referring to a smaller subset like the church in Corinth or the church in Philida. But the point is, it's people. It's these people, the church, who are called the body of Christ. And the thing that makes this so amazing is that this is God's doing. This is God's doing. The church is God's idea. Okay? It's his idea. And if you're part of it, if you are a member of his body, he made that happen. He did. And you have to know that. You really have to know that to understand your true value. You have to understand this is a God thing. Okay, so Jesus said in Matthew 16, he said, I will build my church. And nobody who heard them thought, oh, cool, Jesus is going to get you know, some bricks and mortar and wood, and he's going to build himself a building. Nobody thought that. 
what they thought was, oh, Jesus is going to gather a group of people. They're going to be his people, his assembly. And notice, who's going to do it? Jesus said, I will do it. I will. Now he does it through people. You know, that's why he tells his followers to go and make disciples. He does it through us. But ultimately, he's the one who makes it happen. He builds the church. And then you see it happening in the book of Acts. After Jesus rose from the dead, he sent his followers out to proclaim the good news that in his name we can be right with God, we can have a relationship with God, we can know God. And uh, he sent them out, and it says in Acts 2.47, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Who did? The Lord did. The Lord did that. Back here in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18, notice God arranged the members of the body. Each one of them. Each, each one of them. Just as he chose. Who did it? God did it. Go back up to verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves are free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. Who did that? God did that. See, if you belong to Jesus, you're a part of the body because God made you part of the body. He did that. By a work of his spirit. Okay, I'm about to say something totally outrageous. Brace yourself. By a work of his spirit, you are part of the most significant, the most important, the most valuable group of people on the planet. Okay? If there's some group you've ever wanted to be a part of, I mean, if you're a girl, you want to be a part of the U.S. women's soccer team. Or you're a ball player, baseball player, want to be an all-star someday. Or uh, maybe you want to be a part of an elite group like the Navy SEALs or maybe a Fortune 500 business or something. Be you want to be a part of some group because you think that would be really great. Being a member of the body of Christ is far greater. Now, I know that sounds like a total overstatement. I know that because for many people, the church, <laughs> at best, is irrelevant Useless, trivial, boring, you name it. And I, I can understand why people think that. I mean, look around. Look around. How impressive do we look, really? <laughs> right? I get it. But remember the story of the ugly duckling. Remember that? How in the end it becomes this beautiful swan. That's us, people. That's us. We're a swan waiting to happen. <laughs> the church, the church is by far the most significant, the most important, the most elite group in the universe with the most important job, the most incredible destiny. It's unbelievable. 
why would I say that? That sounds like such an oversight. You know why? Because we belong to Jesus, the most important person in the universe, and that's what he says. That's what he says. It, you know, he not only calls us his body, that and alone is amazing, but he also calls us his bride, his bride. Look at Ephesians 5.31. This is a quote from uh, the book of Genesis where the, the first marriage has happened. And it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, the very next verse. This mystery is profound. Okay, when the New Testament talks about a mystery, it's talking about a truth that wasn't fully explained in the past, but now has been made known. There's a mystery here. What's the mystery? The mystery is that marriage ultimately points to something greater than marriage. What? I'm saying it refers to Christ and his church. The church is the bride of Christ. That's amazing. You know, if you're ever bored and you, you, know, you just want to stir up some excitement in your life, here's an idea. Go up to some guy who's married, a good husband, Find yourself a good husband and go up to him and say something really insulting and derogatory about his wife. And then start running. Because if he's a good husband, there is no one on the planet he values more than his bride. That's who we are to Jesus if we belong to him. We are his bride. Okay, so take all that and now ask yourself a question. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you're a member of his body, if you belong to these people he calls his bride, and you feel insignificant, you feel unimportant. Maybe you even feel worthless. Whose voice are you listening to? Whose voice? It, your own? That voice in your head that tells you what a loser you are? Or someone else's voice? Somebody maybe in the home you grew up in? Or some other voice in culture? Because if any voice contradicts Jesus, it's wrong. It's just wrong. Have you ever watched one of those pawn shop reality shows? I, I'm not recommending it, but if you ever have, there's always this scene where, you know, there's the guy who brings the thing to the pawn shop dealer, and he's got, he's, so he's the seller, and the pawn shop dealer's the buyer, and there's always a scene where they haggle over price. <laughs> and so... The guy that wants to sell it is saying it's worth a thousand bucks. And the pawn shop dealer's like, I'll give you ten. They have a radically different assessment of that thing's value. Okay, here's the question Who's right? They both are. Value is personal. Something is worth 
what someone's, what it's worth to them. Something has value because someone values it. Okay, when that something is us, you have to decide whose assessment of value are you going to go with? Are you going to listen to? Whose assessment of value matters the most to you? Which someone determines your value? Who are you listening to? Jesus Jesus says this. He says, if you will turn away from a life of self-rule, self-direction, self-determination, and instead you will yield to his loving lordship, he says he will make you a part of his body. He will join you to, unite you to his bride. And that will give you, that will give you the highest value you could possibly have. There's other pictures too. And Max said earlier, you know, he makes you part of his family. You become a child of God. There's all these different ways. The Bible describes how utterly valuable we are when we are a part of this amazing, amazing thing. Look at what 1 Peter 2.9 says about this, about Christ's church. But you, you believers in Jesus, you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are part of something amazing. Got to remember that. Okay, now there's a balancing truth to this. Because if you just went with that, you might, uh, you know, start to overestimate your importance, get a little arrogant. So there's a balancing truth here. Yes, you're part of something amazing. But you're a part of something amazing. You're a part of something amazing. In other words, you're one part of something that has many other parts. And those other parts are also important and vital. You are a necessary part of the body because God decided that you would be. So is every other part. It's also important. It's also vital. Why? Because God says so. You have never met a person, you have never met a person who doesn't matter to God. They may not matter that much to me or you, but... They always matter to God. And if you're a believer in Jesus, you've never met another believer, you've never met another believer who isn't needed in the body, who isn't valuable, who isn't important. And if we think, if we think they're not important, again, we're listening to the wrong voices. Because that sure isn't what Jesus says. So see, there's, there's two ways to fall off this balance beam of truth. And you get this balance beam of truth, and you can fall off on either side. One way to fall off, verse 15, if the foot should say, huh, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. 
which means it's false for any believer in Jesus to think, I don't matter. But the other way is verse 21. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Which means it's false to look at any other believer in Jesus and think, well, you don't matter. Both of those ways of thinking are totally delusional. Why? Because it doesn't match up with what Jesus says. And this is so relevant. This is so relevant to the day we're living in. You have to get this, okay? Your perception of reality doesn't determine reality. Your perception of reality does not determine reality. My feelings about what's real don't determine what's real. So just because a believer in Jesus feels that he or she or any other believer in Jesus is not a vital member of Christ's body, that doesn't make it true. Why not? Because because becoming part of the body of Christ, that's a work of God's spirit. It's not a result of our feelings. See, we live in a world that wants to define reality by our perceptions, by our feelings. Well, I think it's true, therefore it's true. I feel like it's true, therefore it's true. Defining reality by our feelings instead of by what God says. That's, it's really just another form of rebellion against our creator. You know, God says, this is reality. And we look at it and say, nah, I don't think so. Well, I'll tell you what, if your perceptions, if your perceptions contradict God's declarations, guess which prevails? We need to affirm what God says about us. We need to affirm what God says about others. We need to not let contrary opinions, whether they're our own or those of someone else, we need to not let those define us or define anybody. God's opinion is the only one that counts, ultimately. Now, I I'm, I'm think it's pretty unlikely that any of us would actually walk up to another believer in Jesus and say, hey, I just want you to know I have no need of you. You don't matter. Get out of here. You know, we're not going to say that. Nobody's going to walk up and say that. But is it possible we could communicate that same message in other ways? Is it possible we could tell somebody we don't need you without actually saying the words? I think it is possible, and I think that's something I would encourage all of us to think about. How might we do that? Well, maybe we just don't include them in our plans, or maybe we don't ever ask them to help. We don't ever ask them to pray for us. Maybe we just don't even notice them. Even though we come to the same place of worship Again and again, we don't really notice them because we're so focused on ourselves or we're focused on the friends we already have. It's something we need to think about. This is the thing that really stands out to me in all of this. There are no spare parts in the body of Christ. There are no spare parts. If the body of Christ is a car, 
There's no spare tire. You can't just be the spare tire. Although I guess a spare tire has a function, doesn't it? All right, we'll think of some other illustration. No spare parts in the body of Christ. We don't, we don't have, you know, spare fingers and spare ears and, and so forth. In other words, everyone who's a member of the body of Christ is part of this amazing, incredibly significant group of people because that's how God wanted it. So if you belong to Jesus by faith, if his spirit dwells within you, and by the way, there's no such thing as a genuine believer in Jesus who does not have God's spirit, then you are included. You are important. And you have a role to fulfill. Look at Ephesians 4. Verses 15 and 16 is talking about believers in Jesus, the church. It says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. If you ever wonder what God's will for your life is, this is a good way to say it. He wants you to grow up in every way into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom, from the head, the whole body being joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped Okay, look at this. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so it builds itself up in love. See that? When each part is working properly. One of the things I'm not especially enjoying about getting older is when there's some part of my body decides it doesn't want to work properly. So I'm out on a walk and my knee says, you know what, I'm done. And I'm just going to complain until you take me home. Or my shoulder decides, I, you know, I, this mowing the lawn thing, I'm just not into that anymore. I'm done. It's really frustrating because it makes it so much harder to get the thing done, to get the job done. The church has a job to do. It is the most significant work on the planet. Not my opinion. That's... Jesus' opinion. Most significant work. We are to represent Jesus to the world. We are to, as it said there in 1 Peter, we are to declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into light. We're to help people respond to the good news and become connected to him and grow up in him. Or as it, yeah, as it says here in Ephesians 4.16, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, how does that happen? What's it say? When each part is working properly. So if you're a believer in Jesus and you're not helping the body of Christ do the work he gave us, you're making it harder. You're missing out. So why would, he, why would we do that? Why would we not engage and be a part? Well, you know, the common thing is, ah, I'm too busy. Or, um, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. I have no idea what I'm good at. I'm no, I, I don't know how to get involved. Okay, those, those things definitely play a role. I'm not going to say they don't. But I think there's a deeper problem. I think the root problem is actually this. We fail to believe we are who God says we are. I think that's the root. 
We fail to believe we are who God says we are. He says, you're the light of the world. He says, you're the salt of the earth. He says, you're the body of Christ. He says, you're the bride of Christ. He says, you're here to declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into light. We have this important work to do. And it's when we begin to believe that we are who God says we are that we begin to have the significance and make the difference he wants us to make. We won't settle for not being engaged. We say, well, I'm too busy. Okay, that's got to change. I've got to stop being too busy so I can engage, so I can do my work as part of the body. Or uh, I don't know what to do. Well, I'm going to find out what to do. I don't know what I'm good at. I'm going to figure it out. I don't know how to get involved. I'm going to find out. We won't settle. We won't be intimidated by how big the job is and how impossible it looks because he's the head. We're just the parts. We just have to do our job and trust him to bring the results that he wants. So if you're sitting there thinking, okay, I can see I, I want to be more involved. I, I want to believe I am part of the body. I've got a job to do. I've got a role to do. I have no idea what it is. Okay, if that's you or you want to be more involved, I have a step for you to take out in the foyer lobby, that room out there. There's a stack of these, and it says ministry opportunities. And we've gone and we've identified a whole bunch of opportunities where we need people to step up and do stuff. Like, for example, I need more people to do what Ian's doing back there and running slides because I have to keep asking guys to do more than they should because we don't have enough people to do that. I know Cindy's got some staff openings, Small Wonders Nursery. But, I mean, there's lots of stuff, lots of stuff. So take the sheet. What I would encourage you to do is read it prayerfully and say, Lord Jesus, I want to be the part of your body that you want me to be. I want to do the things you want me to do. Help me figure it out. And then there's a contact person. Send an email. Do whatever. Just say, hey, I'm looking at this. I'm thinking about it. Is this something? Tell me more. Or what would I do to do this? Because the more of the parts that are doing their job, the better the body works. And the more we can accomplish this incredible work that Jesus wants us to do as his body, okay? You're a part of something amazing. You're a part, but you are a part if you belong to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are living in a world that uh, does not understand who you are and does not understand what it means to belong to you. And Lord, um, it's not unusual to hear people say derogatory things about your bride. Lord, we don't want to be like that. We want to see ourselves the way you see us. We want to do the things you've called us to do because you are worthy. You are the head. You are the bridegroom. Help us, Lord. Stop listening to voices that do not agree with you. Help us listen to you.
and believe what you tell us. Help us be faithful to this amazing task you've given us of making disciples, of declaring how excellent, how glorious you are. May we be faithful. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.